Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. I am your host, Ahmad Gomez. And if you like this content, please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters Podcast on all podcast services. Thank you so much for your time, and let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the ESG Matters Podcast with your host, Amat Gomez. Today, we have Neil Stewart, who is the Director of Outreach at the Value Reporting Foundation. Welcome, Neil. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Amat. Thanks for having me. And I think to get started, it would be great if you could provide a background on yourself and the Value Reporting Foundation as well. Sure, happy to. So my background was not around sustainability. In fact, I came out of financial journalism and I was editor of Investor Relations Magazine for many years, helped found Corporate Secretary Magazine. So I always was around this interface between companies and their investors, whether that's management or also board level in terms of corporate governance. So really around investor relations and corporate governance. And over the years, I saw the emergence of ESG, of corporate sustainability, uh, and, and, and how important it became and how it became recognized as, a, as a performance factor. And for that matter, as, as business risk. I also saw, you know, the proliferation of standards and frameworks, lots of different. Uh, voluntary standards and frameworks growing up really around different audiences, different needs, different purposes. And for companies, this is really quite confusing, kind of dizzying all the different standards and frameworks. It's called the, the alphabet soup because of all the acronyms. But there was this one framework that I saw starting to emerge from the soup. And that was the SASB standards. I, I followed the, the development of the SASB standards from their, their genesis around 2011, 2012. Responding to the need of investors for decision useful ESG information. And to do that, SASB was developing industry specific standards, 77 industry specific standards. Now I admit at the time, I probably rolled my eyes and thought, really, do we need even need one new standard? Never mind 77. But then over the following years, I saw how this really took hold amongst investors. This is what they had been needing. In effect, what they'd been waiting for to be able to compare ESG factors from company to company in industry specific contexts was just what they needed to guide their stock picking decisions, their voting decisions. So I joined SASB in 2020 after a stint in, uh, in corporate banking, actually at Citigroup guiding non-US issuers on investor relations and ESG. And now my role is working with issuers working with companies and other businesses, building awareness and understanding around our resources, the Value Reporting Foundation resources and helping with implementation. Um, and I should say, you know, the Value Reporting Foundation, which grew out of SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, it was created out of the merger of SASB and the IIRC in 2021 to create the, the VRF. So in addition to the SASB standards, I also do, I work on building awareness and helping with implementation of the integrated reporting framework, as well as the integrated thinking principles. Well, sounds like you have your hands full there. As a practitioner in the ESG space, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about there being so many different requirements, ratings, rankings, and indices that companies often are tasked with reporting and having to understand the 
rationale behind both the data request and then the evaluation oftentimes isn't the easiest thing, especially when it's not industry specific and those nuances aren't taken into account. I do wonder from your standpoint, when you've worked with companies at VRF to incorporate more sustainability or ESG related factors in their programming when it comes to environmental, social or corporate governance. What has been the reaction? Has there been a pushback that you've seen? Has there been sort of a frustration that companies voice? So I'm, I'm curious to, to see how have companies really worked with VRF in, in your experience? From the point of view of business, to have this industry-specific lens is really kind of a salvation in a sense. Instead of having to cope with the whole universe of possible sustainability factors, the SASB standards boil that universe down just the subset, just the handful of topics and the associated performance metrics for each industry. So out of potentially, we, we start with a universe of 26 possible sustainability factors under, under five dimensions. And the result after going through the filter, that industry filter, is an average of just six topics and 13 performance metrics for each industry, for each of those 77 industries. So the result is that's uh, cost-effective, it's efficient for, for companies, it's efficient and cost-effective in terms of gathering the data, in terms of using it, in terms of reporting it, verifying it or assuring it if need be. And so it, it, it gives them that, it gives them that focus and it, it becomes a lot easier to report and to use if you're not, if you're not having to cope with the whole universe of different sustainability factors. That makes a lot of sense. One question that I think listeners who are in the reporting space may struggle with is to understand if and how VRF and the work you're doing there works with global reporting initiatives, the GRI, the CDP, TCFD, and some of these other rankings and ratings opportunities that people have to respond to. By working with VRF and SASB, are they already addressing these? Is there an ability to leverage the data request from one report to address another report. I'm just curious to understand what does that look like for you? It's important to think about the audience, the intended audience of the report or the disclosure or what the company is preparing. So, and this is, this is so important when starting to think about the contrast between what SASB had already done, had always done around the, the sustainability accounting standards and what GRI uh, has done essentially different audiences with different information needs. Sometimes, very often, the same issues, the same impacts, whether they're on environment or society, but different audiences with different information needs. The SASB standards are laser focused on the information needs of investors, providers of capital. What do they need to know when guiding capital around the performance of the the company or the business on certain ESG factors? And really what ultimately management's performance. What are the levers available to management and how are they doing in terms of progress? Whereas GRI is a multi-stakeholder reporting system. This is directed at a much broader group of stakeholders, not just uh, shareholders or investors that the GRI goes out to. So the GRI standards, which can be considered as this multi-stakeholder model of reporting for a different purpose for different audience. You start to think about other standards and frameworks and what the different purposes are. 
The CDP, if you think about the CDP, very, very widely used uh, questionnaire around environment, around water issues. Again, a different group of stakeholders than SASB is oriented towards. So CDP meant also multi-stakeholder, very broad group of users, regulators, communities, suppliers, and customers. Whereas again, SASB standards focus just on investors. So from the point of view of companies, sometimes, yes, they, they might think there's there's all these different standards and frameworks. But when you come down to it, there's really just a handful that are focused on investors and the needs of investors. That handful includes the SASB standards, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures or TCFD recommendations, the Integrated Reporting Framework, as well as the CDSB or Climate Disclosure Standards Board. These are all now being consolidated and, uh, and, and coming together under the International Sustainability Standards Board or ISSB under the IFRS Foundation. So while it does seem like there is still a lot of acronyms out there, they are being reduced. The field is getting simplified. And when you talk about what the investor focus for VRF, can you talk a little bit about the value that investors have seen in working with SASB and working with your organization? And the reason I ask that is because oftentimes, understandably, the amount of requests, they're beginning to coalesce and ask for very similar data points, making it easier on the companies. But I still think companies are struggling with the so what of reporting and addressing some of these reports. So if you can, from the investor focus of um, VRF, if you can talk about what the investors have given you as far as feedback on the value and the utility of the report and the data that you provide, I think that'd be helpful for folks who are in the business of understanding how to best use company resources to address the needs of uh, external audiences when it comes to data. Well, you make a great point, uh, and this is around market use. It's so important to show the report preparers how the reports are being used. Are they being used and how they're being used? The SASB standards always started with the use. In fact, really started around investor decision making. That's what drove the SASB standards um, right from the start. It was about investment performance. The SASB standards have always been about building out market use, responding to the needs of investors, and really embedding the standards in the, in the, in the infrastructure of the capital markets. So today, the total number of organizations that are licensing the SASB standards is 323. Now, this is, this is key here. Corporate reporters don't license the standards. They're free to use for corporate reporting. Those that are using them are asset managers, data providers, index firms, ratings and rankings, corporate software providers, and so on. So the 323 licensees, out of those, there's, um, uh, I think, uh, 189 that are asset managers who are licensing the standards. A tremendous investor support then. They're really, what you see is that you see right across the investment world, investors totaling $75 trillion in assets under management from around the globe are embedding SASB standards into their investment processes. Now, importantly, that's independently of whether or not companies are reporting with the standards. Remember, those investors are using the SASB materiality lens, whether or not a company is amongst the 1,500 reporters worldwide already using SASB standards. Those investors are supporting and using the SASB standards really for, for three key reasons. One, they're industry specific. We talked about the advantage of that because ESG is not one size fits all. In order to compare apples to apples, you got to get down to that 
industry level. The second reason is they're focused on financial materiality. That is, they're focused on what are the effects on a company's financial condition, its operating performance, its risk, and thus its cost of capital. And then the third reason that investors support the SASB standards is that they're based and maintained through a very rigorous and transparent due process. So what are those investors finding it? Why are investors um, using the SASB standards? Because it gets them that investment edge. They can direct the flow of capital to where it's genuinely going to make a difference in terms of ESG factors and where it's going to make a return in terms of uh, ESG performance and ultimately financial performance. Oh, that's great to understand. And, and thank you for explaining it. And I think letting people know that there's trillions of dollars that are being utilized by companies that utilize the SASB standards is really important as a way to understand the value of what SASB and by extension VRF provides for the investor community. So I really do want to thank you. And I think that's such an important aspect to target and to make sure people understand because in and of itself is critical to the well-being of a company. And I would take it a step further to say that for people working in ESG and working in reporting specifically, what you just said provides the value that they do to the company. Bottom line, how are you providing value to the companies by understanding what SASB is looking for, as well as how do you answer it in the most honest and specific way so that the company can look as good as they can in the face of investors and then for investors to have a full and rich understanding of what the company provides when it comes to these ESG factors that are material to that industry. So I think that's very, very important to make sure people understand. You know, Amat, you're getting to the heart of it. And if you take it one step further, this is not just about a company looking as good as it can in the eyes of investors. It's about a company performing the best it can. Because this is not just about reporting or transparency for reporting's sake. This is about decision-making and not just investment decision-making, but about management and board decision-making. So SASB actually, the SASB standards grew out of research at Harvard called From Transparency to Performance. And all predicated on this notion that if a company could manage for the ESG factors that it can control and that can affect its financial performance, then it can ultimately uh, achieve better overall performance. So this is what the SASB standards ultimately do is they give management as a decision-making tool, a focus and the metrics to use to benchmark, uh, to compare and to compete to improve performance. When I worked in reporting in a few different companies uh, for ESG, that's how I positioned the value of providing this data externally to various reporting agencies was that this is a way to get essentially free consulting work and benchmarking that otherwise you would have to pay for. And once you frame it that way, a lot of internal stakeholders understand that value and then they understand the benchmarking and, and how critical that is so that one, they understand what their competitors are doing and then two, they have a disinterested third party really understand the industry, but also can say, these are the things that you are proving on. These are things that need improvement or opportunities for growth. And this is the value that that would bring to your job function, whether it be in supply chain or HR or in another part of the business like IT or tech or, or what have you. 
it is, I think, for people on the inside working in sustainability for a company, leveraging this type of data in a way that you become an internal consultant and an internal change agent is a great value that a lot of these standards, specifically SASB, can provide to you and, and help you create a better company that's more resilient and that is just a better corporate partner overall. So I think an interesting example to think about, let's take an issue like, say, diversity and take an industry like asset management. And this is a SASB topic and a, a metric that is used to measure asset management companies. Now, the question then arises, well, how does that affect performance? What is it about diversity that then has an impact on revenues, on costs, on risk? Where is the financial materiality? And this is, I think, what, what's interesting when you start to delve into the SASB standards. And you can look at a factor like diversity and you can say, well, there's attracting and retaining talent for one, but then there's also better decision making, reduced risk across investments, better decision making, better alpha in the investments. So from the point of view of the provider of capital, you then get improved both a better talent and better decision making out of an issue like, like diversity, for example. So you can see there where something that you could measure, you could talk about the impact on society and the benefits to local communities and so on. But what you're actually getting down to here from point of view of a single business is what are the benefits on to enterprise value? What is actually moving the needle in terms of the, the both the top line and ultimately the bottom line? That's a great example. And I think that's something a lot of companies can understand and contextualize for their own specific industry as well as their business. Because thinking about diversity and inclusion, that's such a topic that many companies struggle with. And having SASB come in, once you report to SASB, have that value of a third party coming in and, and showing the strengths and weaknesses of a program or not having a program or not even having goals, I think really provides that the value to the folks in, internally that are handling DE&I to go up their reporting chain to say, this is something that we need to address and here's proof why. So I think that's such a value add that companies who are providing responses to SASB can then get as a value add that they can then use in their own business change management improvement processes that, that they are working with internally on a daily basis. So thank you for sharing that. One other question I have is that, so let's say a company is interested in providing responses to SASB. What would be the next steps or what are the if you could enumerate, what are the sort of the steps that a company should take in order to prepare itself for reporting and addressing questions from SASB? And then also, what do you think will be the future of uh, SASB and VRF in the medium to short term? So the first step for the SASB standards is naturally just to download the industry standard and uh, that that's relevant to a particular company. Um, and a key thing there is that of the 77 industries that encompass the whole universe of companies and different businesses, a single company might be in more than one industry, right? And might use more than one standard. So an example might be, you know, think about asset management. And again, you might have a financial services company that reports to the commercial bank standard and asset management and investment banking brokerage and mortgage finance, say four different standards. Similarly, with oil and gas, you might have uh, exploration and production, but you might also have refining or retailing. You Sometimes you have more unusual combinations like, say, healthcare and technology. 
or one of my favorites is uh, State Street itself reporting. They report both asset management and software and IT services because they have substantial technology business. So that's the first step is identify the industry standard you're reporting to. When you download the standard, you assess of the relevance of the topics in your primary standard and perhaps other standards you're reporting to. That's key because it's SASB is a voluntary framework. It's not prescriptive. There's no compliance or anything. It's up to the company to do that assessment, that basically a materiality assessment. We've done most of it for you, but it's still the final step is for the company to to uh, make sure that the topics are indeed relevant to its business model. And then to start gathering the data, and that's probably the hardest part for many issuers, is a lot of them might already have a lot of the data. We hear that a lot in certain industries, and that's partly due to the fact that wherever possible, we base the metrics in the standards on existing industry regulations or certifications or the like. But many companies do say that the, the hard part is uh, is gathering the data Um, It often comes from all around the business, perhaps all around the world, and perhaps from all different kinds of people within the company who may not be used to providing this kind of investor-grade data. And then it's a matter of figuring out the right format and the right way to report it out to investors. We don't review or look at reports or just redistribute them to investors. Companies don't submit their SASB responses or reports to us. All we do is provide the standards and then companies then report out to investors and the dialogue ensues from there. Now, to your question, what happens now to the Value Reporting Foundation, to the SASB standards as we move towards consolidation with the IFRS Foundation in mid-2022 and ultimately the transition of the SASB standards to become standards under the International Sustainability Standards Board or ISSB. So what's happening is that the SASB standards will begin moving through the ISSB due process to ultimately become industry-specific requirements under ISSB standards. The other resources, then principally the integrated reporting framework, will begin also moving through due process under under both the ISSB and its sister board, the International Accounting Standards Board, to become that connecting framework between financial accounting and sustainability disclosure. So from the preparer's perspective, nothing changes in the near term. Uh, they can continue using the SASB standards and the integrated reporting framework. And indeed, they, they should do because whatever work they do now will see them well into the future under the ISSB. In the medium term, we need the input and the feedback from the market around standard setting. Um, so they should be ready to respond to exposure draft that come out of the ISSB and take part in that standard setting process. And ultimately, uh, going forward, also have the means and the mechanism to continue engaging in that standard setting work. And that's so, I think, important for companies to proactively engage when there are opportunities to do so to help shape and communicate their understanding of what the goals that SASB will have once this starts to coalesce. So one, I think it's really important. I would recommend all companies do this. One thing I've heard from the market has been that the time requirement for reporting, writing reports and doing reports, creating reports that are adherent to to SASB and and others, um, oftentimes, if you have a large company, you have the resources or you can deploy the resources. But what do you say to companies that have one or two people working on all of ESG for a medium-sized company, but they are a critical supplier for a large Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company, and they're being asked to provide the same level of data. 
Is there something that you think that they can do to help prepare themselves in advance to do this? Should they start gathering data sooner? Uh, should they look at their processes now to think what can they do to make the reporting process easier for themselves? So I'm curious from your standpoint, what would your recommendations be for a smaller size company that are embarking on um, reporting? Well, I think the first piece of advice is, and this comes from investors who are assessing the ESG reporting of companies, and that's don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. All too often, it seems like a big, big challenge, and they have that kind of paralysis of difficulty getting started. But investors say very clearly, like ESG is a journey. They recognize this is an immature space. Get started along that journey. Get started down the path. And then the second piece of advice is that focus. Find the focus. Do not try to boil the ocean. Don't try to tackle every single aspect of sustainability. Uh, sometimes companies will look right across, for example, sustainable development goals and start to think about all the different things that the company could tackle. Whereas really it comes down to, well, what actually is the business model, what are the levers available to management and where can you really make a difference? Um, and that, again, is where the SASB standards come in, is to be able to give that tight focus, that lens on what are the key factors that really that really matter and that where the company can really make a difference in. In terms of the data gathering, you know, this gets back to my point I was talking about the difficulty. One of the key challenges is gathering data. And for a small team, small one or two person team in a mid-cap company, this can be really a big, big challenge. And I think it comes down to the processes and controls, the governance around that data gathering. It goes beyond just the efficiency of it and the timeliness of it, but really the quality of it as well. You know, we think about what we call investor grade disclosures, but I also, I think of it too as being director grade. This is information that now has got to go all the way up the company to the boardroom that's being used in decisions around uh, executive pay, around financing, around borrowing and capital raising terms. And so you've got to have the, a real rigor around the data. Um, now that sounds like it's adding work, not relieving it, but really what it's doing is it's formalizing and streamlining the processes. Very often this can be where the uh, financial reporting team increasingly becomes of great help. Don't look at this as just a sustainability task. This is an, about corporate performance. And that ties into financial reporting and the same kind of mechanisms and channels and you know processes and controls that have traditionally been around financial reporting now come around sustainability reporting. So I think that would be uh, where to start thinking about is uh, looking to processes and controls to make this more efficient, more timely, and more effective. Thank you so much, Neil, for explaining that. And thank you for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast. I really did appreciate the conversation. And I think there's so many people out there who will gain a lot of value uh, after listening to this conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. I am your host, Amat Gumi, signing off. If you liked what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to ESG Matters podcast across all podcast providers. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at Amat Gumis on LinkedIn. And I look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day.